Welcome to Take Command, a Dale Carnegie podcast, the show where we seek to uncover what leadership means in today's world. I'm Joe Hart, CEO of Dale Carnegie, and we will be talking to diverse leaders with stories to tell across various industries to help unlock your potential for success. We will be sharing real life insights into leadership, which in turn can help spark the next level of your growth as a leader. Today's guest is a successful and passionate entrepreneur who has co-founded and overseen numerous ventures across a wide range of industries. His professional background includes working for D.E. Shaw & Company, Credit Suisse, William Morris, and Universal Pictures. He is also the host of the business podcast, 30 Minute Mentors, where he regularly elicits insights from America's top CEOs, founders, athletes, celebrities, and political and military leaders. We are excited to welcome the CEO of the Velaz Group, Adam Mendler. Adam, terrific to see you. Thanks for being with me today. Joe, great to be here. Excited to be here with you. Excited to be here with your listeners. Well, thank you. Thank you. Actually, this is really a neat podcast for me and maybe for you too, because you have your own leadership podcast. So you're normally on the other side asking people the questions. I get to ask you the questions. You've had a great career. You've run companies, started companies, invested in companies. You've got a leadership podcast, 30 Minute Mentor, which is a very popular. You've written about leadership. So looking forward to really digging into the topic of leadership with you today. Thank you so much. The pleasure is mine. And as we were chatting about off the air, this is fun. But something that I tell people that I talk to all the time is if I didn't have a podcast, I'd be having these conversations anyway. I have these conversations anyway when they're not airing. So this is a true pleasure because you and I were chatting off air, the same things that we're going to be talking about on air with your listeners are the same kinds of things that you and I love talking about day in, day out, whether they're being recorded or not. That's right. Absolutely. And this, I would expect to be just a good conversation between a couple of people who love to talk about leadership. So let's start there. Adam, where did your passion for leadership come from? It started at a very young age. I was the kind of person who had always assumed leadership positions, whether they were formal leadership positions or informal leadership positions throughout my life. When I was in school, I was the class president. When I was in high school, I was coaching youth basketball, I was always doing things that made me the leader. As an athlete, I was never, ever, ever the best player on my team, but I was always the team captain. I played quarterback and it made me develop leadership skills. It made me think about leadership. It essentially put me on a track that made leadership central to what I thought about and ultimately the focal point of what I do today. So let me ask you this, maybe a good place to start would also be, how do you define leadership? We're talking about leadership. What is a leader to you? And what are the qualities of leadership? To me, a leader is someone who number one, brings out the best in others. And number two, brings out the best in others in service to elevating the greater good of the team, of the organization. A leader is someone who takes one plus one and turns it into three. That's how I think about leadership. What are the key characteristics of a great leader? That's something that I ask 
people who I interview. So now that you're turning the tables and asking me what are the key characteristics of a great leader, I'll give you a few. Something that I say all the time is great leaders are great listeners. It's extremely important for anyone in a leadership position to understand that everyone around you has so much to contribute. Everyone around you has so much to bring to the table. And the only way that you're going to make the team better and the only way that you're going to make the individuals on your team better, in addition to the broader team better, is by listening, is by taking in as much as you possibly can. Before we start listing out the key characteristics, something that I like to tell people is that I'm a big believer that most people in life are bad at most things. I think that we're all good at a few things. I could tell you, Joe, that if you and I went through the list of all the things in life that I'm bad at, that would not only take up the entirety of the podcast, but that would take up the entirety of the afternoon and maybe the entirety of the week, maybe the entirety of the month. So if you're intellectually honest, you'll realize that you're probably bad at most things. We all have a few things that we're good at, and we all have that one thing that we're great at, that we're exceptional at. And the more quickly you could figure out what it is that you're exceptional at, what it is that makes you great, what it is that makes you special, that makes you unique, that makes you differentiated, the more successful you'll be in life, the more successful you'll be in business, the more successful you'll be as a leader. And I bring that up because it's critical for anyone who wants to be a better leader to get on this journey, the journey of self-discovery, the journey of understanding what it is about you that makes you different, what it is about you that you do poorly, what it is about you that you do well. If I had to summarize all of this into a characteristic that is imperative for all leaders to have, that is self-awareness. You show me a great leader who does not have self-awareness and such a leader does not exist. So that's another critical characteristic of an effective leader. I'll give you a third one. And again, this can go on and on and on, but something that I've learned by virtue of interviewing hundreds of America's top leaders is the best leaders are the leaders who recognize that as successful as they are, they don't have all the answers, but they want more answers. They're continually trying to learn. They're continually trying to grow. They're lifelong learners. They're inquisitive. They're intellectually curious. So anyone who's interested in becoming a better leader, anyone interested in uncovering the key characteristics of a great leader needs to look no further than intellectual curiosity, needs to look no further than finding people who are lifelong learners. It is precisely because the great leaders realize that they don't know enough that drives them to want to learn more, to try to discover more. So those are a few. And as you can tell, this is something that I love talking about. I can tell you're passionate about it. And there's a lot of really good nuggets of wisdom here. If someone's going to be a listener, if they're going to have self-awareness, if they're going to be a lifelong learner, they've got to start with some humility. These are people who are saying, I don't have all the answers, therefore I need to listen, you know, to have that awareness, that kind of 360 sense of themselves so that they can then continue to improve. Sometimes that could be a challenge. I think about myself as a young lawyer, 
there was a lot of arrogance. Have you always had a level of this insight or this desire to serve? Or was there something that happened in your life that kind of helped you learn that and realize that you needed to be and wanted to be a humble leader? I think that every single day we get more and more humble. Every single day we experience some kind of failure, setback, mistake. Again, if you're honest with yourself, if you are the kind of person who is reflective, if you're someone who takes the time to be thoughtful about your experiences, you'll realize that you make a lot of mistakes, that you do things that you shouldn't have done. You hear this line over and over again from people, which is, I have no regrets. I've lived my life with no regrets. And I've always believed that anyone who says that is either being dishonest or is being intellectually dishonest because it's impossible to have no regrets. I regret things every single day. I regret not being on time. I regret not working out for as long as I wish I would have worked out for. I regret missing Shohei Otani's at bat. Whatever you regret, you regret things big and small. So if you're someone who is able to reflect on experiences and able to reflect on failures and able to reflect on mistakes, it's hard not to be humble because life humbles you. Life throws you a lot of pitches that are up in the strike zone and some of them hit you. And it's really how you bounce back from it that defines you. So when I was in my early 20s, I'm sure I was a lot less humble. We all, as life continues to humble us, develop a more mature outlook and a more mature perspective. And that's what makes us who we are. That's what makes us better human beings. And that's what makes us better leaders. So Adam, as you look back at your career and you think about different things you've learned along the way, when was there a time that you had a setback? What was something that had happened that you said this was an epiphany moment for you? Joe, when was the time that I didn't have a setback? We have setbacks all the time. I could give you so many different answers to that question, but the first thing that pops into my mind when you ask that question is starting my business. An entrepreneur deals with so many setbacks, but when I first started the business, when I first started the Velos Group, the first year and a half we started was an incredibly fun, energetic experience. It was amazing. My brother and I started this company. I had left corporate America and I'm an entrepreneur and this is such a liberating and just truly enjoyable experience. You're pushing on so many different exciting ideas that you're passionate about. And in our case, we were pushing on probably 10 different ideas and it was the time of our lives. And after about a year and a half of doing it, we burned through all of our money. Our ideas had gone pretty much nowhere. And we realized that what had essentially happened was we were running really hard, but we were really running in place. And our issue was, our mistake was, we didn't have any focus. We had so many different things we were working on. We were so excited and so enthusiastic, but our attention was diverted in so many different ways that we lacked the discipline and we lacked truly the understanding that 
we needed to focus and channel all of our energy on one or two business ideas. And it was a significant setback for us because we had essentially taken everything we'd worked toward, all of our savings, flushed it down the toilet, so to speak. Now, you're really not flushing anything down the toilet because the reality is every failure you make, every mistake you make is a learning opportunity. So this failure was an incredible experience for me to learn from, to grow from. But it was a setback and we bounced back from it. And what we learned was that we needed to focus. We picked the two ideas out of the 10 that were closest to monetization. We scrapped the other eight. Maybe it was even more than 10, hard to keep track. And we pushed forward with those two. We turned those two ideas into businesses. They are businesses today. They're national businesses that serve customers across the country, including many customers that listeners would know. A lot of household name brands buy from our office furniture company, buy from our cigar company. So it's from the setbacks that you learn how to move forward. You gained that perspective, I would think, over time. I mean, what I hear is a mindset. You'd said, hey, look, there's no such thing as flushing money down the toilet because really you looked at that as a learning. As challenging as that period of your life must have been because you had this realization that things weren't working, it seems to me that your mindset kept you moving forward. You were looking for opportunity. Other people might have said, hey, you know what? This didn't work. We thought it was going to work. It didn't work. Let's go back and get jobs or something like that. But you didn't do that. It seems to me it's the way you were framing it, the way you were seeing it. How much of it was your mindset in terms of just the desire to move forward? Was it persistence? What was it that kind of kept you with that approach moving forward? Great question, Joe. And I can tell you that when I left my career working in corporate America, I was in my late 20s. And my thought process at the time was, I have confidence in myself. I have confidence that if I start a new business, I am going to succeed. I'm going to make it work. But I also understood that the odds are I'm going to fail. The odds are that most businesses don't make it. So even if I fail, even if this business doesn't work, I will learn from it. I will gain from it. I will grow from it. I will become better because of it. And I didn't say that in a um, abstract way. I didn't say that in a way to make myself feel comfortable. I said that in a way that I actually believed and could come up with concrete examples as to how I would become better. And to give one very clear way, when I was working in corporate America, I was a junior guy. I worked for some really big, prominent, prestigious organizations. My first job out of college, I worked for the biggest hedge fund in the world. And people look at that and they look at my resume or my virtual resume and people say, my God, you worked at DE Shaw. Wow, that's so impressive. And I try to explain to people, I worked at DE Shaw, but I didn't deliver coffee. I delivered the financial equivalents of coffee. I was by no means a person there who was a decision maker. I was a low level cog in the machine by virtue of starting my own business, by virtue of taking on responsibility, managing tons of people, learning things through the school of hard knocks, I developed an education that I didn't get in business school, that I didn't get working for big companies. And a lot of it comes down to perspective. A lot of it comes down to recognizing that 
even if things don't work out your way, you can pull things from the experiences that you've attained that can really propel you moving forward. I'm going back, Adam, to something you said a moment ago, which is about bringing the best out in others. And you were talking about all the different people that you'd worked with. And I'm curious, I've got to just ask you about that because you left D.E. Shaw. Where did you get the knowledge? Where did you get the ability to kind of learn how to manage people? Because you said you managed a lot of different people as you were doing that. D.E. Shaw was my first job out of college. From D.E. Shaw, I got my MBA. I also worked for Credit Suisse after business school. In between, I had some experiences in the world of entertainment. How do you learn how to manage people? What a great question that is. And the answer is that there is no single way to learn how to manage people. The best way that I learned how to manage people was before I entered the workforce. When I coached youth basketball, when I was the captain of my baseball team, when I was the president of my class, when I was at the Isha, it was my first job out of college. And I was not a leader by any means in title, but I was able to develop leadership experience by virtue of the projects that I assumed. And one of the things I did at DE Shaw was I tried to find ways to add value to my job. So a lot of the work that I was doing was work that I thought could be automated, was work that I thought could be made more efficient. I don't have the technical skill set to do that. I'm not a computer science major. I don't know personally how to code. So what I did was I was able to recruit other members within the organization and build out this informal team to help me in effect, automate my job and manage and lead this informal team to automate my job. And then once I did that, the company gave me new work and then I tried to automate that. And once I did that, I got new work until I went off to business school. So a lot of the way that you learn to lead isn't by entering a management training program, isn't by having the word manager on your business card, but is by picking up experiences through creative measures. And Joe, just to add one last thing, I'm a big believer that different people learn in different ways. It's extremely important to learn, but it's also important to understand how you learn. We talked about the importance of learning by doing, learning by gaining experience. It's important to also understand that a lot of people listening to this conversation might be able to learn how to become better leaders by listening to podcasts, listening to your podcast, listening to my podcast. A lot of people learn by reading books. A lot of people learn the way that I learn, which is by picking up the phone or jumping on Zoom or grabbing lunch and talking to people, picking people's brains, speaking to people who know a lot more than you do, who've experienced things in ways that you haven't. In my experience, it starts with understanding how you learn best and then having a desire to really follow through on that and a commitment to continually learn and continually grow. One of the things that holds people back from growth, a lot of times we'll know a lot about ourselves, we'll have something we want to do, and yet we don't do it. And one of the things that holds people back is fear. 
fear that I can't do it, fear that I'm going to fail. What are people going to think about me if this doesn't work out? How do you advise people to overcome fear? Or even better, once a time in your career, you faced fear. And what was the strategy you used to overcome it? I think it all starts with really breaking down what am I afraid of? What are the consequences that make me so fearful? And the reality is that oftentimes people are afraid of things that they shouldn't be afraid of. There's nothing to fear but fear itself. And nine times out of 10, that's true. We're not talking about life or death. We're not talking about things that you should really be afraid of. So the first piece of advice I would give to a listener is if you're feeling fearful, if you're feeling afraid, take a step back and ask yourself, why? What am I really so afraid of? It's like the school ground bully who is picking on all these kids. And when you take a step back and look at things objectively, why are you afraid of this bully? In all likelihood, the bully is the person with the fear. The bully is the person who is the coward. And if you have the strength to stand up to the bully, you'll realize that you shouldn't have anything to fear. And it's the person who is scaring you who should be afraid. Let me challenging that a little bit because I remember a kid and I remember a bully and the thing that scared me was that guy was really going to hurt me. So sometimes they're afraid of physical fear of harm or whatnot. But I think what you're saying is, hey, you know what? A lot of times we create these things in our minds to be afraid of. And those things really aren't something that we should be afraid of. Is that what you're saying or am I misunderstanding? Joe, you're right on the money. If there's a life or death situation, that's real. If your doctor tells you, be afraid, I'm not here to tell you dismiss the medical advice of your doctor. But if you are afraid of giving a speech, if you're afraid of talking to an audience, if you're afraid of making a presentation, I would ask you to take a step back and ask yourself, what am I afraid of? What is it that makes me so worried? What are the consequences that is driving my fear? What is the big deal? What happens if things go wrong? And the reality is that when you break this exercise down, which I've done many, many times with people, there isn't really this big consequence. There isn't really this big deal. At the end of the day, it's a byproduct of getting worked up unnecessarily. And what I would implore your listeners who might have something that they're afraid of, whether it's being afraid to give a speech, whether it's being afraid to try something new, whether it's being afraid to push your comfort zone, I would just ask, what is the consequence of failing? What is the consequence of screwing up? The reality is that the consequence is probably not that big of a deal. Don't be afraid to fail. Don't be afraid to mess up. So Adam, if you think back about your life, when is a time where maybe you'd built something up in your life as a fear 
And nonetheless, you confronted it and then you discovered that really you didn't have anything to be afraid of after all. When I was growing up, when I was going through school, all the way through college, all the way through my first job, there was always this expectation of checking all the boxes, doing all the right things, doing everything that was expected of me. There's a topic that a lot of people are interested in called birth order. I'm the oldest child, I'm the oldest son. And I was always someone who by and large did things right. I got good grades. I graduated at the top of my class in college. I went to a good college. I got a good job after college. I went to business school. I went to a good business school. After business school, I took the traditional job back in finance. And what you come to realize at a certain point is doing what's expected of you, doing what the world, what society, what whoever else is the they expects of you is not necessarily the best path for you, is not necessarily the key to living a fulfilling life for yourself. And it's extremely important for anyone listening to this conversation, for anyone who's really trying to figure out how do I free myself from expectations, whether it's the expectations of others, whether it's the expectations of myself, how do I free myself from the fear of failure? What is failure all about? A lot of what failure is about is failing to meet the expectations. Now, whose expectations are they? Are they the expectations that you set of yourself? Are they the expectations that your parents have set for you, that your mentors have set for you, that maybe someone who told you that you're never gonna make it set for you? So I think it's really important to develop a sense of clarity as to why you're doing what you're doing. So Joe, when I was 28, I was at a crossroads in my life and I was going down this corporate path and I decided if I'm ever going to do something entrepreneurial, if I'm ever going to do something different, now's the time for me to do it. Is that an easy decision for most people? Probably not. Is that a decision that most people would be afraid of? Probably. At that point in my life, I had eradicated the fear that I might have had at one point because at that point I had already gone down that path that I had not developed a sense of fulfillment from. It was not the path for me. It was not the path that allowed me to number one, become my best self. And number two, allow me to positively impact other people in the way that I knew I was capable of doing. That sense of clarity really gave me the ability and the confidence to go out, do something entrepreneurial, start my own thing, 
and recognize that even if things failed, even if things didn't work, I would still be better for it. It was really that sense of purpose, that sense of what do I want to do with my life that kind of drove you to overcome any kind of fear about leaving corporate America because you were well compensated at that time. You leave, you start a company, you're not going to have you know, the same level of compensation, but it was really that inner sense of fulfillment that was a driver for you. Absolutely. And not only personal fulfillment, but fulfillment of trying to meet something greater trying to live a life of purpose. And I don't mean for this to come across as me being some kind of altruistic person, but something that I tell audiences that I speak to all the time is it's extremely important for each and every person to understand one of the most important questions you can ask is what is your definition of success? What does success mean to you? Now, your definition can be completely different than my definition, and that's okay. Maybe to you, the definition of success is becoming the CEO of a Fortune 500 company. I've had many Fortune 500 CEOs on my podcast. They're all great people. They're all great leaders. I've learned and continue to learn so much from them. Maybe your definition of success is to be on the Forbes 400 list. I've had some Forbes 400 members on my podcast, and they're great people. I've learned a ton from them. Whatever your definition of success is, have one. My definition of success, Joe, is I want to live a life in which I can add value to anyone who I'm interacting with. That's how I've defined success. If I can uplift others in a meaningful way, that's important to me. That's what I care about. That's how I try to spend my time. That's how I try to dedicate my energy. Now, that doesn't need to be your definition of success, but it's important that you have some purpose that you're working toward because having a goal, having something clearly defined that you could push toward is gonna allow you to become so much more successful in whatever it is you're trying to achieve. Well, it's so critical to have that thing that we're centered on, that thing that really drives us. It's inspiring that your definition of success involves wanting to inspire other people. I'm curious, who has inspired you to be your best? Who are some of the people in your life that really have inspired you? I am continually inspired. I am inspired on a daily basis. I'm inspired by people I know well. I'm inspired by people who I meet and may not know as intimately. And I'm inspired by people who I don't even know. I'm inspired by my parents. I'm inspired by the people who I have on my podcast. Each and every person who I've interviewed, I've been inspired by. I've interviewed more than 500 of America's top leaders. Too many people to name have inspired me. I'm continually inspired. I give a talk to audiences called Lessons from America's Top Leaders, where I synthesize the best lessons that I've learned from not only the leaders who I've interviewed on 30 Minute Mentors, but the leaders who I've interviewed across all the platforms that I have. And I try to share the 10 best lessons, but to give two to your listeners, I had Victor Rojas on the podcast, who's not as big a name as some of the other people. He's not as big a name as David Robinson, who was on, or Bill Walton, who was on, or 
Rob Lowe or Admiral Stavrides or General Dempsey, but Victor Rojas was the longtime play-by-play announcer for the Angels. And Victor gave so much great advice throughout the conversation. One thing he said that stood out, he was telling a story about his career. And Victor at the time was the number two play-by-play announcer for the Texas Rangers. The number one play-by-play announcer was, and still is, a guy named Eric Nadell. And Eric Nadell is a Hall of Fame announcer. And Victor was the new guy. Eric is this legend. About midway through the season, Victor is having a conversation with his wife. And in the conversation, it becomes apparent that Victor had essentially been spending his time with the Rangers trying to be Eric Nadell, trying to be his mentor, trying to be this legend. And he was next to this guy who was so good at his craft that he was essentially trying to be him. And his wife said to him, you've got to be yourself. And it was at that moment that he realized, I can't be the second best Eric Nadell. I have to be the best Victor Rojas. That freed him up to become a great broadcaster. That freed him up to be, in my opinion, I thought he was the best play-by-play announcer in baseball when he was calling games for the Angels. That advice is applicable clearly to play-by-play announcers, but more broadly to anyone. Don't try to be the second best version of anyone else. Be the best version of yourself. Find your own unique voice and go with it. Thank you for sharing that because I think so often we put pressure on ourselves to be someone or to be our expectations of what we should be. One of the things that Dale Carnegie always talked about, particularly if people were going to give a talk, is to be yourself. What have you earned the right to talk about? Or who are you? And who's the authentic Adam, the authentic Joe? Be that person. And it also ties back to something you said very early in our discussion. There's a lot of things that we're not good at. Let's not worry about this. What are the things we're really good at? Let's invest in those things that are unique to us. So thank you for that advice. Thank you, Joe. And I... Love sharing that story. And for every podcast that I've done, there's an anecdote like that that I take away that I love sharing with listeners, with audiences. And that's why I say that it's so hard to just pick one. But if you'd like me to share another one, an interesting one from literally my first podcast that I did, which is one that I've applied and have shared with my employees. So, episode one, was with Keith Melnick, the co-founder of Kayak. Episode two was with Dan Helfrich, the CEO of Deloitte Consulting. Episode three was with Suzanne Summer. So some pretty strong guests. So episode one with Keith Melnick, one of the things that Keith said in the course of our conversation, he was recounting his experience leading large tech companies. He co-founded Kayak. He's now the CEO of a company called The Zebra, which listeners might be aware of because they've been doing a ton of TV advertising. They're a billion dollar company right now. One of the things he said, which I thought was extremely interesting is in the course of his career, he's found that his best employees continually think that they're about to get fired. 
And his worst employees never see it coming. When they get fired, they're completely shocked. And when he shared that with me, it was the first time I had ever heard that. It was like this aha moment for me because in my experience leading my businesses, we have a guy in our company and we now have a second person in our company subsequent to that podcast interview. So we now have two people in our company who are superstar employees. They're great. They're incredible. And they both continually think they're about to get fired. No matter how many times we tell them, you're doing great jobs. Keep up the good work. You're great. One of them said to me recently, I wanted to talk to you about something. If I haven't gotten fired by so-and-so date, I'm going to need to take some time off for a paternity leave. And I'm like, well, what are you talking about? Are you kidding me? Like, give me a break. You're our star employee. That I just thought was so interesting. As far as your worst employees not seeing it coming, I found that to be true as well. It just goes back to a mindset, a mindset of those in your organization who are so focused on making things better, so focused on making themselves better, improving their performance, improving the company's performance. It's a broader conversation, but I just thought that was a piece of advice that I pulled from that one episode applicable to my business and probably applicable to the businesses of many listeners. It goes back to what you said early on also about self-awareness. It's interesting because the person who thought that they were going to get fired really doesn't have that self-awareness. Maybe they've got an extreme sense of humility, which can be good if they're desiring to serve and to do better. But then the person who thinks that they're God's gift to your company and they're not doesn't have that self-awareness either. Great leaders, as you said, are great listeners. They've got self-awareness. They're lifelong learners. Any closing pieces of advice for our audience? Joe, firstly, thanks again for having me. I really enjoyed this. I really enjoyed the conversation. My only regret is that we couldn't do this for two hours or three hours or four hours because this is what I love. This is a true pleasure. If I am going to add one last thing, I will say this which is think about how you can add value. Think about no matter where you are, whether you're just starting out in your career, whether you're a college student, whether you're mid-management, no matter who you are, no matter where you are, think about how you can add value to others. How can you add value to whomever it is you're interacting with? Because at the end of the day, if you're someone who can add value to others, you're going to be a person that other people are going to want to be around. You're going to be a person that other people are going to want in their lives. So figure out how you can be the kind of person who's contributing to others. And a big part of that, going back to one of the first things we spoke about in this conversation, is listening. Great leaders are great listeners. And if you want to figure out how you can add value to others. It starts with having a mindset that is conducive to adding value. But the second step is asking great questions, being inquisitive, and then listening, taking a step back, listening, and it all goes from there. Awesome. Thank you, Anna. Before I let you go, 30-Minute Mentor, how do people find that? People want to listen to it. How do they uh, do that? Thanks, Joe. So 30 Minute Mentors is available on all podcasting platforms. So however you're listening to this great podcast, you could 
just type out 30 minute mentors. It's all spelled out. You could also go to 30 minute mentors. Again, it's the word 30 minute mentors.com. And I encourage anyone interested to start off with whichever guest is most interesting to you. So if you're interested in listening to a conversation with a fortune 500 CEO, with a founder of a household name company, with a retired four-star general or admiral, with a Hall of Fame athlete, Olympic gold medalist, pick whichever guest you think is most interesting and go from there. Awesome. Well, you know, one person I'm looking forward to listening to that you interviewed, it's not a four-star general, it's not a Fortune 500 CEO, it is Tony Horton, founder of p <laughs> Because I've been a big fan of Tony Horton's and I saw him on your list. I said, I've got to listen to that interview. It's only 35 minutes, 30 minute mentors, you know, so looking forward to that. Tony is an extremely inspiring guy with an extremely inspiring story. Anyone who listens to that podcast, I can't guarantee that you'll get a six pack. I can't guarantee that you'll have biceps the size of mountains, but you'll learn a lot and you will be inspired by what Tony has been able to achieve. And like in every episode, I try to leave listeners with actionable advice that can help you better excel professionally and better excel personally. Great. Well, thank you, Adam. Terrific talking with you, learning from you, sharing ideas with you and uh, wishing you the very best. I hope you enjoyed this edition of Take Command, a Dale Carnegie podcast. Check out our resources page at www.dalecarnegie.com for more research, insight, and tools that will support your success in taking command of your leadership potential. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider rating it and subscribing to us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. As always, thank you for listening, and we look forward to you joining us for the next episode of Take Command, a Dale Carnegie podcast.